Cry Wolf, and there's a story behind that song. We're going to be talking a little bit more about that when we bring our guest into the studio. Robert Cutterella is with us today, along with my guest co-host, Spencer Drake from New York. And uh, Robert Cutterella is a multiple Grammy-winning producer, a musician, just so many different things. Producer, just lots of different things he's done and we're going to be talking a lot about that today but I have a few announcements before we start the show that I do want to say really quickly because I think it's really important first I want to say um, that uh, I did receive some kind of um, mm, sad news in a way but um, you know uh, Baron Wallman um, who has been on the show quite a few times, um, has gone to the next place and, uh, you know, is a victim also of uh, this nasty virus that's going around. And uh, I just wanted to put that out there to everyone, um, you know, hold him in in thoughts. And uh, we are definitely going to be doing that as well. And then on a more positive note, I want to say today we want to wish uh, Sean Lennon and, of course, John, 
a very happy birthday, as well as talk about the tribute that is going to be being that's going on today. I wanted to talk a little bit about that because there's some really amazing people that are going to be live streaming for this event. Um, it is on Facebook. You can go ahead and put it in. But the 40th annual John Lennon Tribute is 80th birthday celebration. There's going to be performances by Jackson Brown, Natalie Merchant, um, Willie Nile, um, Patty Smith, Taj Mahal, so many other people, Natalie Merchant. Um, and it's streaming free at the Lennon Tribute um, 40.org. So put in Lennon Tribute 40.org. It's starting at 7 p.m. through October 12th, midnight, ET time. So it's a benefit for um, Theaters Within Reels Love Food um, Fund. So go ahead and check that out. And then, let's see, I had one more, two more announcements. Go out and vote. Make sure you vote. (laughs) I had to say that. And... uh, Definitely, I wanted to also um, let everyone know that the fires are kind of sort of coming under a little bit more control here in Sonoma. And I wanted to thank a company called U.S. Fanco, who um, sent a fan up here to Sonoma to help with the smoke. And uh, that's usfanco.com. And uh, I wanted to thank them so much for the beautiful fan that I received that um, has come in very, you know, much more, so much purpose because with the smoke we needed it. So with that, I think I've, I've, I've covered everything. And again, um, we hold Baron Waldman in our hearts. And with that, we're going to go ahead and I'm going to bring everyone into the studio. And we are going to go for it. I've been bringing in Spencer and I'm bringing in, let's see here, um, if everyone's unmuting. Is everyone there? I'm trying here. Hold on one second. The studio is acting up. Let's do that again. Hold on a second here, guys. We are going to unmute everyone and refresh this page. And we are going to bring everyone into the studio. But in the meantime, what I wanted to say was um, we are live. And if you'd like to tune in and listen to the show at a later time, we will be also on um, we'll also be on iTunes and also on the other stations that um, do right now I'm having a little trouble connecting to the studio I don't know what is going on here but I know I'm live and I want to bring everyone into the studio so just give me one second here and we are going to connect we are going to connect and um, talk to everyone here because it's really important that we do this show today. Um, I do not know what's going on here. Um, give me one second, and we are going to go live. In the meantime, um, what you can do is, while I'm trying to connect again really quickly, is check out the other podcasts that we have done also that are available on iTunes and also on Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio. Um, All those shows are available and you can listen to them and they are live. So I am going to get into the studio right now. Let's see here. I'm going to call back in. And we are going. Here we go. Okay, bring hey. everyone in. That was really weird. Oh yeah, my god! That was, <laughs> you there? That was yep. so weird. I tried to fill in the time with everything I had to say. Oh my gosh! Sorry about <laughs> that. It's okay. That was really strange. Everything just went went <laughs> off. 
Yeah. Wow. So was I ta- Could you guys hear me talking? The yes, whole time? I could hear you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we could hear okay. you, Holly. Yeah. Okay, and then I reconnected everything. I had to sign back in and everything. It was crazy. Oh, wow. um, huh. So did you? So Spence, you knew about you knew knew about Baron, right? I did not. I'm glad you brought it up because I had no idea. Oh, my God. It's a real yeah. shock. Such a great photographer, mm-hmm. and we both knew him, and you had him interviewed several times. I mean, he's he was one of the iconic photographers of all time. You know, he you know? had, yeah, he had a permanent collection up here in Napa, too. But anyway, oh. let's go into some really fun things here because this show opened up with, and again, our hearts are with everyone out there that knew Baron and his family and loved ones. So um, um, we have Bob, and we opened up with a song called Cry Wolf. And I know, Bob, you have quite an extensive life and career, and I'd love for you to get into that. But let's talk a little bit first about that opening song because I know there's a story behind it. Well, and the story is for most people who there are you know a lot of people who are fans of Christina Grimmies. Christina was uh, a young artist in her early twenties who was on The Voice. She was on Island Records and then Independent. She was touring with Selena Gomez, and she was touring uh, with her brother playing guitar. And she was in Florida. This was four years ago, and a crazy fan just came up, shot, and killed her. I don't know. Oh, my God. Which was horrendous. And then he shot himself, killed himself. Our wow. brother wrangled oh, really? from the guy, but he managed to kill himself. Yeah. Um, so yeah. the father, her mother then, right after that, passed away from cancer. Her mother had been fighting cancer for 10 years. Yeah. So her brother and her father have kept, well, they created a foundation, the Christina Grimmie Foundation. And yeah. it, it's... Uh, geared toward helping families who are victims of gun violence and also cancer, breast cancer, and they raise funding. And so I was able to, I'm, I'm handling a musical estate, which is over 50 some odd songs. And we're taking them little by little. We're having fans remix them and all yeah. that. And that was a song that I ended up kind of reproducing and remixing that's going to come out in a few weeks. And all the money oh, goes great. toward the foundation. So um, we're very excited about that and excited to get her music out to the world. She has millions of fans on her website and all. So it's really even more exciting that in her passing, you know, it's four years now. Next year will be five years. She's in June. Um, She has this fan base that's a rabid fan base that all loved her. And so that's the story behind Christina Grimmie, you know. Yeah. And the song Cry Wolf, Yeah. Really beautiful song, and uh, yeah, that's really sad. But you know, um, hopefully, you know, with this, it'll help help others in some way. Well, the family, you know, with the foundation, the yeah. The father and the and the brother, they they do a lot of great work. They, um, you know, when Ventura fires happened here, I mean, when the the mm-hmm. Ventura shooting happened. Uh, they were right there. They started, you know, donating money to families who are in need. And, and the money isn't just, you know, money because the family at that point is kind of everybody in the family so upside down and don't even know what hit them. Um, right. It's not just for that. It's not for that purpose alone. It's sometimes they need counseling. They need so many other things. So they're there to help. And uh, they do that all around the country. God bless them there. You know, you should check mm-hmm. them out the Christina Grimmie Foundation. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Cool. Sounds cool. Well, um, what I thought we could do, Spencer, is have Bob talk a little bit about how he got into the music industry yeah. and about all his amazing things Background. that he's doing <laughs> and done, and then we can get into some questions. How's that? Right. So, Bob... Yeah. <laughs> Five minutes. It'll be done in five minutes. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> no. ten. You are ten if I move. so much more than like that. <laughs> Go for it. Go um, for it, Bob. Uh, all right. So how I got into the business was 
when I was nine years old, actually, and I just wrote a book. I'm going to talk about that later too, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. But yeah. when I got in, you know, at nine years old, I, I, um, I started playing drums. I went to see, there's a famous drummer whose name was um, Gene Krupa. And oh, yeah. Gene Krupa was, yeah. So Gene Krupa, good looking guy. They'd done stories on his life and stuff because supposedly he got busted for weed when, when it was illegal and all. So, you know, they thought he was a tragic figure, but, but Gene Krupa was this good looking guy. And I was nine years old. My best friend, John's father was a cop and my father, his father, myself, and John went to the Metropole in New York City. We were underage, obviously, but with mm-hmm. his father being a cop, they sat me right next to the drums, right? Wow. And I had never really seen a live drummer, you know. Mm-hmm. So they sit me next to this guy, and the guy's pounding away. He's cool as a cucumber. He's got this right. pompadour. He's got a shark skin suit, you know, <laughs> but he's cool, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he's right, sweating. He's cool he's cool. Yeah, and, uh, and the audience is going crazy, especially the women. And here I am, this fat little kid, you know, like, you know, playing sports and all, but I was sitting there going, okay, if he can do this, and this is what this is like as being a drummer, I want to be a drummer. (laughs) (laughs) I went went home, I got my aunts, gave me two wooden spoons. I live with an Italian family, right? My aunts and grandmothers. Oh, funny. Mm -hmm. They gave me wooden spoons from the kitchen. I took a box downstairs. I took a a radio, the radio, and just started banging on it to songs. (laughs) <laughs> until everybody got frustrated and I was able to buy a drum, which sounded no better than the box, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of how I started um, playing. But I didn't get into business early. What, what ended up happening was I took a detour because if you know anything about Italian families, especially in the 50s, you know, you had to go to a Catholic school, Catholic high school, Catholic oh, college, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I got married young and really everybody – you know, loved the fact that I played music on the weekends and made money on the weekends and had a couple of bands. But the bottom line was I had to have a real career. And uh, I had a real career as an English teacher going to be a professor until I was 24 years old. I just played on the weekends all the time. During the summer, I had bands and we played everywhere. Played in New York. We played in the village. We played at the uh, if you've seen what was the TV show um, that they did on New York that I thought you know the music industry and all that uh, I, it's, uh, Jagger's son was in it and all vinyl. I, yeah. I played at the yeah, Mercer yeah. Arts Theater. So the Mercer Arts Theater, I had played there. I had played at the Fillmore. I played all over the place. And you know New York was amazing, and it, you know it was certainly when you get bitten by the bug of music, as you guys probably know. Like anything that you love that much, you're never going to be far away from it. So mm-hmm. I just kept playing and playing. And then one day I told my ex-wife, look, I've got to, I got to do this. I have to make myself happy. That led to a divorce at some point, but um, oh, you know, no. I got into music, got into the music business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Uh, it's, I mean, everybody's been divorced at least once that I know of. <laughs> Yeah. So, so that's it. That's my. Uh, I, and if you want to know how I actually physically got in, I wrote, co-wrote a song that was a dance, and through some people that we met along the way. During those days, we didn't have the internet. People don't realize yeah. that today you can meet anybody, you can contact any anybody you need to through the internet. But then you had to go physically into New York and try to meet people, and and people were very open in the early seventies. People were really cool. They were so open and so nice about, like, example, at that point I was single again. So um, there were a lot of very beautiful um, women who were working for a lot of powerful people. So I was always good at the gift of gab. So I would start babbling away. Next thing you know, they'd say, well, hang around. He's going to come out. Maybe he'll say hello to you. And, you know, this is how I got producers and record executives and, I was never shy that way. Um, and so I, you know, started talking to people and I got this one record out. The record did fairly well. My mom then invested in me and two other people, started mm. a production company, and we were off to the races. Um, and, you know, I got a job 
three years after that. In the but uh, Bob, you really started you you were with Chapel Music when I met you, I think, you know, in New York. Yes. Right. Chapel and and then you progressed after that. You progressed after that into high high level stuff in music. Yeah, I mean, well, you've worked with some done. of the amazing, most amazing people, Bob. Yeah. You need to talk about that, I've been too. Lucky, lucky. lucky yeah, you are. L-U-C-K-Y, lucky. <laughs> no, but I, I, when I worked at Chapel, that was like, I, I was driven like a racehorse. But the way I got my job at Chapel was very funny, and I can share that with you because I think it might be interesting to people. But um, I, I got three job interviews the same day. For years, nothing. I mean, I was just out producing records and trying to make it and that kind of thing. But three interviews the same day. And one was with Billy Joel when he had just put out The Stranger. Another was with um, Columbia Records, a man named Larry Fogel in the publishing end, uh, April Blackwood. And the third one was Chapel with Erwin Schuster. And Chapel Music had just, Erwin had just hired a guy that day. Everybody, I remember the guy's name was Casey Del Casino. And um, they had just hired him, and he asked me to come in for an interview. I went in, and he said, look, I'm going to be honest. I hired somebody already. He said, but I was told that I had to speak with you because they told me you had good ears. And what he did was he gave me a test. <laughs> and the, the test you. was like, no, this was a, it was funny because I didn't know what to expect after he said that. He right. said that, yeah. and my face dropped to the floor, you know. <laughs> um, but, but he said, look, I'm going to give you, it's like the Clive Davis test. He says, I'm going to play you a song that we have in the catalog. You tell me who you think it would be good for. And these were the days with cassettes and reel to reels. Yeah. So yeah. he put pops a cassette in and he says, who do you think that song's good to? And I went, uh, Ann Murray. And he threw the cassette at me and he said, she just cut it. So I said, oh, cool. And he wow. played me another one. And I guessed six in a row. Just wow. guess six at all. Oh, wow. So he said to me, okay, That's now it. I'm stuck in this dilemma. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because if you think about it, he had just hired this guy. What's he going to do, right? So <laughs> I walked out of there, and I, I said, look, I walked out of there, and I was like, okay, if I don't get this job, this is the place I belong. I know I belong here. The people were so nice. Everybody was cool. Frank Military mm-hmm. was there. Frank became my mentor, and he had worked with Sinatra, and I had worked with Sinatra. So all of of a sudden, it was like, this is the place I'm supposed to be. So I I went home. My way home at chapel, I ripped the last pair of new shoes I had because they were doing construction. So I was like a drunken sailor on the train. I got on the train screaming. I'm going, son of a bitch. I ripped my shoes. (laughs) I get home. And on my machine is, what do you want for lunch tomorrow? So that's how I got my first Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, and then was great. history and was created. You right. were, you, you, I mean, that's right, Chapel right. <laughs> Throw some names out there. You've done it, right? Hey, hey I Bob, mean, i got to ask you a question. <laughs> I, uh, You know, I designed the Tough Enough album for the Fabulous Thunderbirds. Were you involved mm-hmm. with that album with that time? Very much. Which, uh, uh, yeah, I was. And if you talk to the guys at Sony, they'll go, or Epic, or, you know, uh, affiliated labels, they'll go, well, I don't remember your involvement. Well, my involvement was very simple. I was the head of A&R for John Hammond, for his label. Mm -hmm. And Chuck Gregory. Chuck Gregory was my immediate boss, even though I was the head of A&R. He was kind of like, I don't know what you'd call him, the president, I guess. Um, Nobody really had those kind of titles at that company, because John didn't really function like that. So we had promotion people. We had, you know, so I was ahead of A&R. So one day, a cassette came into Chuck, and it was a guitarist named Stevie Ray Vaughan. And mm-hmm. he called me in his office, and he said, listen to this guitarist. He's amazing. And I went, <laughs> oh, my God, we have to sign him. So both of us went in to see John Hammond, who was the kind of figurehead. But John was also, at that point in his life, he was a little erratic. You know, he wasn't feeling his best, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, ah, you know, it's another guitarist. I don't know, a blues guitarist. Anyway, he threw the cassette in the garbage. So the cassette went in the garbage. Oh, wow. And Chuck and I, our faces were like mortified, right? So we went to lunch, and Chuck said, we got to get this kid signed. Right. So at lunch, 
we started talking, and Chuck said, why don't we come up with a bar band series? We'll do a bar band series. This is 1984, I believe, um, no. 83, around 83, 84. He said, why don't we come up with a bar band series, and we'll sign the T-Birds, because my friend Jeff Aldridge told me they just dropped them at Chrysalis, and then we'll sign Stevie Ray, and we'll sign Doug wow. Somm, and we'll sign a whole bunch of Texas troubadours, you know, who are mm-hmm. blues guitarists. So we went back in. And we knocked on John's door, and Chuck was fast talking John. He goes, "Yeah, we got this great idea. We're going to do a bar band series, and we're going to sign Stevie Ray Vaughan and the, the, the fabulous Thunderbirds, and blah 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 blah." And John goes, "That's fantastic! Great idea!" Blah blah blah. So we went back in Chuck's office, and we went later grabbed the cassette out of John's car, and we there signed the T Birds and and Stevie Ray. And what happened was, of course, I was the A and R guy, so tough enough album fell in my lap Monster. so we called Dave Edmonds yeah. um, mm-hmm. and I went to London and met up with them and uh, they were in London at the time and uh, we talked about the album and of course they talked about a million other things which I can't talk about on um, radio or television um, not allowed <laughs> anyway, um, radio or television <laughs> or anything that's, any streaming that's a great I can get story, a lot of trouble Bob. Bob, no, that's such a great story. But, I mean, you know, you've got, like, we wanted to know some stories, obviously, with so many of the people that you've worked with. Um, You mentioned Frank Sinatra, but, I mean, you've got so many, you've got other people, too. Um, Why don't you talk a little bit about some of the other people that you've worked with and a little bit more about the different interactions and stuff like that with people? Sure. Well, you're you're getting the real you're getting the real stories, the stories that I yeah. tell my friends and, you know, because right, my friends right. and, 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 and all that. to be there um, for. Yeah. Well, and, and the T-Birds were an interesting story only because, and this is the continuation mm-hmm. of that story. Continuation mm-hmm. is that John Hammond's label fell apart because John left, took Stevie Ray Vaughan over mm-hmm. to Associated Labels, which created a lot of havoc with me because I was part of that whole situation and then the T-Birds as well because um, we didn't really have a functioning label at that point and we had just put together the Tough Enough album so the guys at Epic and Associated Labels got to do the rest of the you know the the promotion and the marketing and all that stuff but but I was there at the beginning and what happens is in our business you know you can be involved with a lot of great scenarios and great artists and all but one little turn and and all of a sudden it goes somewhere else and someone else gets credit and someone you know and people don't talk about that stuff because people don't want to talk behind people's backs or this and that yeah. but mm-hmm. there's a lot of it a lot of it goes on in our business and you sit and you look and you go okay that's just part of the business you know what are you going to do so when you ask about a lot of I've had wonderful, wonderful, wonderful experiences with a lot of great people. I, one I can tell you with Elton John. Um, you know, uh, Elton John was signed at Chapel. I became the director of um, talent acquisition at one point, and when I was manager and director of talent acquisition, I was included in all the deal making, and I either was included in it or I was part of initiating it. No, one thing or another. Yeah. And Elton John's name came up and uh, I was asked, you know, what do you think of signing Elton John? And this was at the stage, if you've seen his movie, if you've seen Rocket Man, that stage with all the drugs. Yeah. That was the stage. Oh, yeah. yeah basically, the stage where we signed him. It was like a, a rebirth of a second career for him. But the truth of the matter is, mm-hmm. it wasn't his most successful uh, stage. But for me, Elton John was Elton John. I didn't care. <laughs> you know, right. we signed Elton John and Bernie Taupin, right? So mm-hmm. right. signing Elton John and Bernie Taupin was a big honor and everything. And But Elton John would send in songs, and my job was to get the songs recorded by other people because he was only going to release a certain amount of singles, and then the rest I had to try to get cut by other people. And that, that was, a, it's a tricky job because people hear his voice on something and they think, well, if he didn't release it as a single, why should I, you know? But mm-hmm. most people don't mm-hmm. think about that, that all those songs that they write, well, they sit around those songs sometimes for years and never get cut. And some right. of them are great. Mm-hmm. It's a song called Strangers. 
It was a really good song. And so I loved the song, but it had five verses, no chorus, really, before it got to any kind of a payoff or a chorus. And during those days, it was usually two verses in the chorus, two verses in the chorus. It's kind of like a formula. And this song, though, I loved. So one day I started chopping it up in my office. I was doing my own edits on stuff. And I brought it to the point where it's two verses in a chorus, two verses in a chorus kind of thing. And um, I was really excited about it. And I got it cut by Randy Meisner, who was in the Eagles. And I think right. it was Annie, Annie Wilson's oh, nice. heart. And oh, Annie wow. mm-hmm. the duet. And it was going to be a single. And it was a single on Columbia. And so Elton John was playing at the Garden. And my boss said, well, why don't you go you know, talk to him and tell him what you did with the song. And I said, what are you, crazy? I got to go tell Elton John that I edited his song, took out two <laughs> verses. <You> know, <laughs> he uh-huh. tells John, wow. and I like to keep my job, you know. <laughs> he yeah, said, no, it's cool. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry. Don't you know, worry. Don't worry. Just, yeah. don't worry. Like, when somebody says don't worry, we all know what that means. So right Need away, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, shit. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, I went. And I went backstage, and and um, and it's really funny, you know, to me that it, Elton John, right, is after his concert, and people, everybody's going to, oh God, oh, he's amazing, he's this, and I got to go talk to him, like, hey, by the way, I work at the publishing company, and uh, I just chopped your song up, and um, but I did. Oh um, no! And he was as nice as can be because, well, I got the song cut, and it became a single, so he was excited well. about it. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was that was the good news. Bad news was Bernie Taupin was also signed to us, and everybody tried to get Bernie to write with other people. Oh, but wow. Bernie's lyrics, Bernie's lyrics are so unique, and the fact mm-hmm. that Elton heard them and made what he made out of them—that's yeah. what made their their bonding so special. And you know what? We never had that with success with him after that. You know, with Bernie, because that nobody kind of got Bernie as much as Elton did. Right. So, mm-hmm. You know, that's the fascinating thing about songwriters. They're fascinating. They're they're amazing. They, you know, artists, songwriters. You know, everything we do in the arts that so much goes into it that uh, and so much passion and love and yeah. and uh, you know, it's amazing to me. I'm still amazed but- by it all the time. Robert, uh, tell us about, you know, you have a very, you have so many parts of your life. Once you produce records with some amazing people, tell us about that part of that. You know, you produce some amazing, uh, you know, okay. with Alice so, yeah. Krauss and Les Paul. I'd and love so to on. hear that. Yeah. Okay, so when I started in the business, I started out not knowing what I wanted to do, really. Like everybody else and being a Beatle lover and, you know, performing in bands, I love being on the stage. So I didn't know what, what I had no clue what a producer does. Matter of fact, when we produced the first record I did, I was kind of like my friend Barry had been in the studio before, but I hadn't. So when we produced our first record, I was kind of more of an observer and com, you know, co-writer and commenter. You know, why don't we put strings here or why don't we do this and that? But I didn't really know what it meant to produce records, right? By the time I had got to Chapel Music they discouraged me from producing, although they wanted me to produce the demos in our demo studio. <laughs> so I guess it came in handy, but they didn't want me producing records to take any time away from pitching songs and dealing right. with songwriters, right? So, yeah. So I stopped producing until I got over to John Hammond. And when I got to John Hammond, I started working with uh, John Palumbo, who was Crack the Sky and a couple of new new bands that I signed and all that. But still nothing monumental. Um, 1990, I, I guess 1994 or so, I left, 94, 95, I left MCA. I had taken a job for because my partners and I were at odds uh, with this company I had. So I went and took a job at MCA, stayed there until 95. And in 95, I said, you know what? I'm going to manage producers. I started managing producers. Two of them mm-hmm. died. So I was like, oh, my God, this is bad. So I said, no, well, let me start producing myself. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of when it started, you know. 
I started about 97 again, and I, for 10 years, I tried to convince Les Paul to do a record. There's all kind of segues into Oh, yeah. Car. That's incredible. Les Paul, I mean, Les was, you know, for 10 years, I would go to see him perform. I'd go with my friend Barry. I'd, go, I'd bring executives down, say we got to sign a deal with Les and do a, a, an album with great artists who, and great guitarists and and a lot of the executives that I brought down, the heads of labels, were like, yeah, yeah, but Les didn't want to do it because Les had had a bad accident. He's, he could not really function and play like he used to. He was kind mm-hmm. of like, why should I put myself out there playing like that when I used to play like this, you know? So anyway, yeah. 10 years it took me. I brought down Phil Quartarero. I called up Phil. He's a friend. I went to California. I was living in New York then. I went to California. I spent two months with Phil. Phil let me use his office. He said, if you can put this together, he said, I'm going to help you get some names on it, you know, like Sting and people like that. And um, and then he said, you know, this should be a great record to do, to be involved with. Of course, it had its ups and downs, but finally, last met Phil, fell in love with him, and we did the record with Capital. There's a whole history with Les and Capital anyway. Because mm-hmm. Les had brought Sinatra, mm-hmm. and he had brought Bing Crosby and other people to Capitol when he was right. there. So Les, you know, we started the record, and Les wanted it one way, and the label wanted it another way. Mm-hmm. Because they didn't need another Les Paul record, per se. What brought mm-hmm. me to producing all these people was Les Paul, basically, because I heard, in my head, I had come up with a lot of song selection for the album, since we couldn't do the album like old-fashioned style, like Les Wanted with Tony Bennett and everybody, basically I had to do something a little more contemporary, but something that would honor guitarists who were influenced by Les, which is everybody. Most people don't know that Les invented reverb. A lot of people don't know he invented multi-track recording. A lot of people don't know that he actually invented the first move, but he didn't put it out before Bob Moog. Mm-hmm. And, and he invented mm-hmm. the electric guitar, right? So he changed perception, and I got to produce uh, an album, and then a second album, and then other live tracks, and then a live event. So I got Allison Krauss was in the live event. She mm-hmm. played. We did a, a live event at uh, the Universal Amphitheater that I promoted, co-promoted, and that was amazing because that show we had. Well, Stephen Tyler came, but he didn't sing, oddly enough. But Tyler came with um, with Joe Perry. So we had Joe, we had Slash, we had Joe Satriani, we had Edgar Winter, we had um, Lukather, Steve Lukather. We had, uh, oh, God, so many people on that show. It was just an amazing show. And then in the studio, <clears throat> I got to work with Jeff Beck. And uh, <clears throat> one night, Jeff Beck was talking to me, we were in the studio with Nathan wow. East and then Vinny Caliuta and Jeff was a sweetheart to work with, but mm-hmm. um, he was very easy for me to work with anyway. I, I loved working with him. And he, he said, you know, Cindy Lauper's hanging out and she's in the same hotel. I said, oh, good, let me call her up. I called Cindy up. Cindy's an old friend. Cindy came down. We did a, a record with her and Jeff. Um, oh, that's great. Uh, Josh Stone, I had a dream one night about Josh's voice with Stings. And I came up mm. with doing this duet. Ooh, nice. Was, That's nice. It was yeah. Josh and Sting, and that was uh, Love Sneaking Up On You. And then Josh, mm-hmm. and then Josh didn't, didn't know Sting, and then Sting took her on the road and made her the opening act. So, mm-hmm. you know, working with certain people was, I mean, it was a real honor. One of the big honors Sam Cook. I had a dream about Sam Cook. I knew nothing in my head could have led me to Sam Cook thinking about Les Paul, right? What was the connection? Yeah. Who knows? But I dreamt about mm-hmm. Sam Cook one night and I called up Alan Klein and I said, Listen, Alan, I know you handle Sam's uh you know, estate. Can I use his lead vocals on two songs if I give you Eric Clapton on one and Jeff Beck on another? Mm-hmm. And he said, if you can deliver those, <laughs> I'll let you do it. That's incredible. And I did. 
and wow. uh, and that was all a dream. And the weirdest part of the dream was one of the songs. The title of it was uh, uh, "Troubling Mind." Uh, let me ease my troubling mind. And Les thought that was mm-hmm. an old song that he had recorded, but it wasn't. Huh. It was a different song, but same title. Wow! Oh, how funny! So, yeah. That album was a real turning point for me, and and I, then I got to friendly with you know like Slash. I still I was working with Slash's son now, and I still you know I talk to Slash. I work with him on three or four things together. We wrote something, and that's that's the cool thing. That's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, we actually did a live performance in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It was that's great. Slash, Billy Gibbons. Uh, Steve Lukather and a bunch of other amazing guitarists and mm-hmm. uh, Ricky Sambora and and our song is there and they video you know they take oh, it's it great. it's all in the archives there. I mean it's it's when you think hey, about hey it, Bob I'm I, uh, I'm in the archives you know on my album covers I'm in the I rock, know rock and it's great being with you maybe we should shake hands in the archives you know Bob. I, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it's amazing that yeah. we get blessed enough in our lifetime to have something like that happen. It that's is. All. It's great respect. That's, that's a blessing, you know. It's a, yeah. it's an amazing honor to to be part of that. It is. It is. So you know, I can't give you much. What I wanted to people, you know, that's really sure. cool that you're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, both yeah. of you. Yeah, I think it's important because right now. I think Bob, you and I talked about music and how music was going right now. Um, we talked about wow. <laughs> how it's changed and wow, yeah. So I you know the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, no, it's very important. Very important point. Yeah. Hey, hey, Bob, I want to ask you something. You have a uh, you you have a business now with Phil. Uh, <sighs> you have a company. Well. Phil Quartero and I have a management, production, and publishing company called Inspiros Music. So it's InspirosMusic.com, I-N-S-P-I-R-O-S, music.com. Yeah. We do, working with a bunch of young artists and with uh, Sweet and with Smokey Robinson and with a whole oh, bunch wow. of different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, it's, I know uh, that you're no, doing stuff with time. Celine Dion, too, right? Well, currently, no. Uh, Celine, um, you know, I consider I don't know. You're Celine cutting friend. out a little bit. There you are. Can you you're hear back. Me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah, you were cutting out a little bit. No, that's okay. Well, Celine, she's, I consider her a friend, obviously, and I was there at the beginning with, uh, had her first hit, and... I try to go see her whenever she's performing, and you know she's an amazing, amazing lady, wonderful mm-hmm. lady, great talent. Um, but you know, it, Celine's an interesting one because Celine typifies why I thought a lot of people got into the business. They didn't get into the business, especially during my time period, to make money so much. They had this passion for the music, and I think that's part of what's missing today. What's missing today is it's drummed into everybody's head today that you have to be this, you know, social mm-hmm. media star and you have to have such this big presence and all that stuff. But sometimes there's not enough history and substance behind it to substantiate how you get there. You know, and it, it feels like it's a money grab more than it, it's this play on I'm going to make the best music anybody ever heard. And it's going to last for years. And I'm just going to express, you know, it. We don't have Absolutely. a prince right now. Mm-hmm. We have we have mm-hmm. Bruno Mars. He's a great writer, but we don't have a prince mm-hmm. right now. He was an innovator. We don't have a Stevie Wonder. He was an innovator. We don't have an Elton John. You know, we have Lady Gaga. But a lot of these people mm-hmm. are so heavily influenced by the, the people I mentioned has original you know I, I, mm-hmm. I don't hear as many original voices that I can put my finger on right away and go oh, I know I know who that is but I can always tell mm-hmm. you you know what Robert Plant's voice sounds like oh so, sure are know. you kidding 
And you know, you know I John forgot at the beginning of the sh- yeah, totally get that. And you know what I forgot to mention at the beginning of the show also was that we lost Eddie Van Halen um, this week too, and that that sound is another sound another original. Just yeah, yeah, yeah definitely another original. Yep. I mean, and that's so. You know, it'd be great if we could just you know. Find a way to find a balance somewhere in the middle. I'd be happy yeah. with somewhere in the mm-hmm. middle. There's no middle. Yeah. So, right. There is no know. middle on any on, on a lot of it, you know. Um, you know, I'd like to know a little bit about your time. You know, working. Did you work directly during the Frank Sinatra years? Uh no, 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 no. <laughs> okay. My working with Sinatra okay. was peripheral. Um, and mm-hmm. that, when I say peripheral, uh, it, it was, I mean, I had little contact, but I have had dinners with him and I have a beautiful mm-hmm. picture that he gave me and all that stuff. Um, it, but it was more, I worked more with a gentleman who was a piano player who worked kind of like with all the mobsters. Mm-hmm. So I kind mm-hmm. of worked as the drummer for the mob, you know, and Sinatra yeah. was, mm-hmm all part of it and so uh, I had the pleasure of playing drums uh when he sang sometimes. Oh wow. Uh, but not not in his band, uh but right. with this trio. And you know, having contact with him and talking to him about music and all that man his mentor um was a man named Frank Military was his manager, was one of my mentors. And Frank okay. <laughs> Frank used to call him up. Frank Sinatra would call in. He'd say, "I want to speak to Little Cheech," and Frank would call him Big Cheech. And you know, there was uh, so I got a lot of the history behind all of it. And uh, I can tell you one funny story. But don't. It, this isn't Sinatra directly. If this, it is a funny story, I think. But anyway, mm-hmm. but the first day that I was supposed to play drums, we love stories. Uh, well, <laughs> okay. Well, this is this is a kind of a funny story, but. First day I was supposed to play drums when Sinatra was going to come in to sing um, was at Jilly Rizzo's. And Jilly's was owned by Jilly, his manager at the time, and Frank. And my boss at the time, uh, Mike was his name, he used to grab me by the neck and he used to smack me to syllables, you know, like, Bobby, how many tell you, you know, like like a teacher in school. Um, he used mm-hmm. to tell me, you got a big F in mouth, you know, you got to keep your mouth shut. I want you to. Set up your drums tonight when Frank, before Frank oh, wow. comes in, we'll have dinner. He says, set up your drums. We're going to have dinner. And don't worry about nothing. But don't talk to nobody. <laughs> and he smacked smack me every, this whole sentence is being smacked on my face. And I go, Mike, let it go, all right? No problem. So anyway, he made me a nervous wreck. I went into the bathroom, and I was in the bathroom. And I, my stomach was very explosive that day because I was nervous. It was in my house. I grew up with a picture of Sinatra on the wall and Jesus Christ and whatever. It was, you know, <laughs> that kind of hierarchy sitting there, right? So, sure enough, I got this explosive stomach. I'm in the bathroom, and this big goon comes. He opens the door like a Western movie, like a John Wayne movie. He grabs no. me. He goes, ain't you got no effing brains? What are you, nuts? This is Frank's Turley. No one goes on Frank Turley. Oh, no. What are you, crazy? Oh, my God. Threw me in the hall naked. So Really? I, then wow. he's on the, he's, yeah, then he's in the floor, and he's scrubbing it down, and he's going, that effing kid is stupid. What is he doing? What is he? This Frank's Turley. If Frank finds out, oh, my God, it's going to be. The, <laughs> so I thought I was going to get whacked. Here I am. I'm thinking I'm going to get whacked. I knew it. You know, I'm going to get whacked. So sure enough, I didn't get whacked. Uh, Frank was very nice. I was still a nervous mm-hmm. wreck. Everything was fine that evening. And ten years later, I was dating a girl, and uh, you know, she said to me, "I got to ask you a question." I said you you played at Jilly's with Mike and blah 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 blah. I said, "Yeah." She says, what was that like? And I said, well, this big goon buster, you know, he took me and he threw me in my naked on the floor going, oh, he's cleaning the turret. He's telling me I'm crazy. <laughs> and she goes, that goon is my father. <laughs> so anyway, 
that's my kind of Sinatra story, even though it's a, uh, I mean, what are the odds that it's I a good one. a girl whose father oh, was the guy that threw me out? That's funny. Early. That is so funny. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, you know, I noticed you also work with Metallica. Um, most, okay. A lot of them live up here in Sonoma. Okay, so Metallica is very Metallica. interesting. Um, because in the forward of my book uh, is a little note from Johnny Z. I never, he said, you know, I tried to sign Metallica. I was on the, I was the first guy in at the label when Johnny Z was trying to get Megaforce's label, which had Metallica, Anthrax, and right. Raven. We tried to get their record out. So I gave him a deal. And uh, unfortunately, John Hammond and everybody, uh, the whole thing fell apart. Mm. So it was one of those short-lived. And when I saw Kurt, um, I don't know how long ago, um, I was talking to him about that, <laughs> how I had the most short-lived career with Metallica that would have allowed me to make a lot of money since I had an override on <laughs> On everything I signed at the table. Wow. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, Metallica, Anthrax, Raven. I got to produce Raven. Anthrax ended up over at uh, Island Records, and Metallica ended up at. Yeah, I worked, hey, Bob, I worked on Anthrax at Island. I worked on with Anthrax at Island Records, you know, designing for yeah, them. I mean, they were good. I mean, yeah. Johnny Z was a vision. Player. I talked to Johnny every couple of weeks. Still, he's down in Florida. He's got some young artists that I'm working with now. Um, you know, we're still dear friends and very, you know. Mm. These are, you know, they were great times. There's so much music. There's so many great artists floating around. Yeah, and it, yeah. You know, I I don't feel like that now. There's a lot more music now. But I don't, right. I don't know. I try to listen and find them because there's a lot of them out there. But it's hard to dig through all of it, you know. I, I find, you know, Bob, I find right now in my life when, you know, I was designing, you know, you know, I go way back with you, but, you know, in the old days, I think we agree, you could, you knew who they were out there. In other words, you knew all the artists out there. There was a time when you know who was out there. Now it's like your barrage with 40 billion groups, you know, I feel, you know what I'm saying? Well, there was, there was less music then. You know, yeah. when, when I got into business, I think there were only 300 albums a year being released worldwide. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Yeah. But now there's a million songs a week. <laughs> it's like, how are you going to know? And and I say part of the problem is, or the challenge is, that there are no gatekeepers like there used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, the days of those gatekeepers, the Mo Austins, the Five Davis. <laughs> you know, it's not a surprise to me that, um, what's the name of the show? Um, uh, American Idol. It's not yeah. a surprise that there are more successes off American Idol than The Voice or any of the other shows that right. feature music. Of course, Clive Davis was involved in most of those successes. Yeah, there's a common denominator, whether you love him, hate him, or you know right. don't like his ethics about how he goes about his business. He knew how to take somebody and make them into their potential. Yeah, they could recognize their potential through. His efforts, because I mean, I I found in my in my life that you had a couple. You had Seymour Stein, you had Chris Blackwell, you had Clive Clive Davis. You know these names. These were they had great ears, right? I mean, they had you know I mean Atlantic, Mo uh, Austin, Austin, Mo Austin, Mo Austin. I mean, they had great ears. That was that was that I respected. That was something that was so prevalent in learning about music that these men. And I was, I was so lucky to work with some of these that they had these great ears, right? These are the guys who, you know, would sign groups. Like Seymour would sign the Ramones. He would sign Talking Heads. And Warner Brothers didn't know how to handle them. I mean, he fought no. them. <laughs> but he believed in them. And look what happened. They became iconic, right? You know what I'm saying? Well, and that's the thing. That's the thing, the belief. Ahmed Erdogan yeah. was a mentor. I had six bands. Yeah, he's great, too. Too. yeah Armor, oh God, yeah, Ahmed. Oh, God, yeah. Ahmed was... Let me tell you, what's fascinating about Ahmed, and I don't, how are we doing on time? Are we good? We are. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to extend the time. We literally wow. have five minutes left, and your song is two minutes okay. long. 
So I'm trying to extend the time right now, but I'm not having any luck. Um, talk so about the song, we, Bob, right, Holly? Let him talk, right? talk about the song. Okay, well, the song that's well, coming no. up is a, a, Til- a young artist named, yeah, Tanksley is the artist, Justin Tanksley. He's an amazing, amazing young man who, uh, to me, um, <clears throat> this is only the beginning of what could showcase his talent. He's very young. Um, he's in Delaware at the moment, but uh, Phil found him uh, upstate, and he, he's one of these kids that plays multi-instruments, very exciting on stage, like a prince, um, a very, very uh, musically acknowledged, if that's a word. The only thing about uh, Justin is that you want to see him live. You really want to see him live. You, the, right, you know, listening right. to him is one yeah. thing, but when you get a real taste and get into what he does, like this is a, this piece is, is the newest thing that we're going to release, but he's oh, got great. a lot in him, though. You know. So wow. this is just a starting point. Well, you know, what I wanted to say was we have so much more we want to talk about. Um, so we should probably schedule a second show. Yeah, because definitely. really, <laughs> seriously, I mean, we literally have one minute um, before I have to play the song because I want to play it. Um, what I wanted to say to you was I wanted to thank you so much for being here today and um, Spencer, too, as well. You know, um, I right, thank, thank you. Thank you. I love having you, Robert. Also, I wanted to say it's Friday. Don't drink and drive. And, um, yeah, I always have to say that because you never know. Um, And plus, you know, make sure you do go out and vote. It's really important we do get that point out there to everyone. Um, What else do we want to say really quick? um, We have, like, um, I should go into the song really quick. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and go into the song really quick because it's going to cut off. Thank you, guys. Hey, we'll see you, Robert. Weekend. Is that is Let's that talk. cool? Let's talk. We'll talk. And then my love Okay. Yep. So, Bye. Robert, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, you're on Facebook and you're on Instagram, and so is Spencer mm-hmm. and myself. Yep. We're all on and Instagram also, and Cutterella uh, Facebook. Cutterella at gmail. dot com. Okay, oh, okay. Perfect. All right. All right. It's C U T A R E L L A. Yep. All right. Yep. Yeah. There you guys go. Yo. <laughs> and we're getting the song to play now. You all come back again, Holly. <laughs> oh, please. That is so funny you're saying that now. <laughs> you brought it up. You did the greatest. This is the greatest you did. I'm telling you. The greatest. No, that is. That was that was funny. That was funny. <laughs> it's, it's a good show. Now. Very good show. It's a very good show, Hal. Yeah, no, you know what? Um, we are going to, yeah, we're here. Let's do this again soon. This is fun. Yeah. Okay. Holly will schedule you, yeah. We have 90 seconds left, and you know what I'm going to do? What? For some reason, it's going faster, and um, I don't know why it's not allowing the song to play. Oh, okay. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, Rob, Bob, don't be upset with me. I don't know what no, is going no, no, no. on today. This is the first uh, show you know, after all these yeah, major never fi- had this all the fires and everything. It's crazy. Yeah, it's I do really not know what's not going on. Ghost in That's the machine. Just not. <laughs> right, no, ghost in the machine, oh, yeah. man. <laughs> no, I want to say that. Yeah, no, that that's kind of sort of where I'm at right now with this. This is really odd. So I do want to thank I everyone and. It. Yeah, and I wanted to thank Spence, too, also for bringing you here into the studio. So, Oh, yeah, we love Robert. Really cool. And I know you thank and you, um, Bob go way back with your microbiotics uh, food. So, yeah, we used to uh, hang out at Sue Inn, right, <laughs> Every day for lunch. <laughs> Every day for lunch at Sue Inn. Holly, Sue Inn was amazing, microbiotic restaurant. It was totally amazing. I heard all about it. You are funny. Oh, hey, a lot good. of people, David Byrne, used to come in there for breakfast. Yeah. Uh, Ginsburg. Uh, Gallon Ginsburg huh? came in there. 
Allen Ginsberg used to come in. Uh, uh, there's a couple of comedians. I forget their names, but I, I mean, I can see their faces. But Jesus, oh. there were a lot of people. There was different people there. Um, great people. No. Scramble totally, All right, Bob. Guys. Okay. All right. We gotta go. Cheers. Love you. Go. Love Bye. you. Love you. Love you. Bye. Rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs>